And we are so grateful. So just continue to flow in this place. Fill us. Breathe on us. Give us a passion for you, for your word, and for those who don't know you yet. Just give you thanks. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hmm. All right, well, appears we're all friends here. Don't see any new faces. So, I don't have to explain this too much. So here's your question. We're all maybe friends, but you don't all know each other as well as you could. So find someone you don't know as well as you'd like to and ask them this question. If you could choose one hobby that seems out of your reach now, either financially or because of time, what hobby would you take up and why? So in other words, it's a hobby that maybe you can't afford either because it's too expensive or it takes too much time. So if, that's, if that were eliminated, what hobby would you choose and why? You have about five minutes.
Well, you guys are even self-policing. You stopped it right at five minutes. That's <laughs> You're so great. All right. Well, um, actually, I think it's ec- kind of appropriate. This seems like it's got some sort of a weird echoey sound to it. So if you guys could maybe adjust that, that would be lovely. Um, it's maybe sort of a good thing that it's just us-ins today, us family members. Um <laughs> because uh, we're going to do something a little bit special, and it's, it is kind of a family thing, and so uh, that's why I think it's appropriate. So Andre and Cindy and John, would you all come forward? For the past several months, Andre has been uh, operating in the capacity as sort of our youth pastor slash administrator, and um, we had not yet formally ordained him, but we are going to do that today. So, so he's up here with his lovely wife. Well, we don't want memorial services. That's probably not appropriate, is it? <laughs> not this week. And I think I actually am going to need glasses. Just answer appropriately when I ask you a question. I do. No, you've done that one. That's, yeah, that's already. All right. So, throughout history, God has called workers to carry out his will. Righteous Noah was chosen to survive the flood and save his family through building the ark. Abraham, the man of faith, was selected to be the forerunner of God's holy nation, Israel. Moses, the man of God, was called to deliver his people from bondage. Jesus chose the twelve to be his apostles. The early church set apart those called to special work through prayer and the laying on of hands. We come today to formally ordain our brother, Andre, to the work for which God has called him. We seek to honor only Christ, and this one is being set apart for just that purpose. Let us invoke invoke God's blessing on this occasion. Have you, Andre, prayerfully considered the responsibility of living and preaching the gospel, and have you weighed the work involved in the sacrifices you may be called upon to make? Yes, I have. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that the Holy Scriptures are the Word of God to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Him? Sure do. Are you motivated not out of a desire for position or earthly gain, but by the love of God and of your fellow men, and the wish to glorify him and save them. I am motivated. Will you strive to build up the church, the body of Christ, to prepare God's people for works of service, to labor for the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God? I am. Will you endeavor to live a life of love within your family and in the community, and so draw others to Christ through your example as well as by your word? John and Cindy, if you would lay your hands on Andre. You have declared your purpose to give your life in the service of Jesus Christ and have received the approval of this church in order that you may be formally set apart for this holy calling. Will you now kneel and receive the laying on of hands as we ask the blessing of God upon your ministry? Want to grab, you need a pillow? No. All right.
God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself to save all mankind, we come today with praise on our lips and a petition in our hearts. How thankful we are for Christ, who, when lifted up, calls us to his holy service. We praise you, O God, that Jesus died for us and that we may bring our lives to him in return. We are thankful for this, your servant, who offers himself to the ministry of Christ. Father, grant him the spirit of wisdom that he may know you better. May his heart be enlightened through the knowledge of your word. May his feet be swift with the gospel of peace, his hands outstretched toward those in need, his tongue a ready instrument for the message of Christ. May his message be always true to your word and his life consistent with his words. When discouragement comes, uphold him. In his success, shield him from pride. Let him fear God rather than men. Give him boldness to make that choice. May your spirit work through him to do your will, to bring men to Christ, to build up the church, to extend the kingdom of righteousness and truth. Be his constant companion, Father, and may he be yours, that his life will cause many to find salvation both here and in eternity. Through Christ we pray. Amen. You may rise. The Christian ministry is both a great joy and a solemn responsibility. May your first priority be to follow Christ. Jesus called the twelve to be with him, first of all, even before sending them out to preach and to serve. Find time each day to renew your relationship with your Lord. Nothing is more tragic than the man who attempts to tell others about Christ, but who does not have Christ in his own heart. I charge you to know the truth. As Paul instructed Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. One of your problems will be to give yourself as needed, yet at the same time to keep from becoming spiritually and physically exhausted. Nourish your own soul upon the word of God. Then you will find resources to share with those seeking your help. I further charge you to preach the truth. Though the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, yet God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In this day when truth is made to look like error and when error is widely proclaimed and accepted, preach the truth of God as it is in Christ. Your only right to stand in the pulpit is to answer the heart cry of those assembled. Do you have a message from the Lord? Do you have a message today from the word of God? Preach clearly so that people can understand. Preach in love that they will follow. Finally, I charge you to live the truth. Keep your personal character blameless. Lay the law of kindness upon your heart and tongue. Be a servant, not a master. Persuasion is more effective than force. Lead by example. Rejoice with your colleagues in their successes. Keep yourself from ministerial jealousy. Refuse to measure your effectiveness by numbers. Take your disappointments to God and not to your congregation, nor home to your family. Make time for your wife. He, she needs you and you need her. 
There are times when the most sacred work you can do is rest. See God's larger service as well as that in your own field. Find a way to work with other Christians and to extend the kingdom elsewhere. In the words of the Apostle Paul, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. From the time they will come, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. My brother, may your life's work honor Jesus Christ so that at the end you may hear him say, well done, faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we just lift our brother up before you. We thank you for his sacrifice, for his willingness to labor for your kingdom. I pray that you would bestow upon him many blessings, that you would anoint him for the work that he has chosen, that you would challenge him with work that he has not chosen, but yet you call him to do. So we know, Father, that you prepare all those uh, things for us, and that even though we may not feel prepared for them, we know we can do them if we do them in your strength. So we thank you for him. We thank you for, for Cindy and for Nick and for his whole family, Lord. Just bless them. Keep them uh, safe and in the shelter of your wings. We give you praise, Lord, on this day and ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And before you go... would like to present you with this certificate and I'll show you. This is his certificate of ordination. So congratulations and God bless. No, 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 no. <laughs> Clap for him. Since we're supposed to take just a minute here before we start. So Holy Spirit, come. Just pray your anointing upon this message. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can clearly see, the title of our message today uh, is uh, The Gifts That Keep on Giving. And that's drawn from a phrase in popular culture. Um, you've probably heard it before. 
The gift that keeps on giving really refers to a gift whose usefulness extends into the future. Um, since we're fairly close to Valentine's Day, I thought I could give you some advice, you guys. Um, so there's a, you know, you could get your beloved uh, a bouquet of roses. That would be really pretty and nice. Um, but you know, they go bad after just a short period of time. Um, whereas, if you got a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> that is a gift that is, is lasting and can be useful forever, really, or, or at least a, a much longer period of time uh, than a bouquet of roses. So that is truly a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, probably giving you a lot of grief is what it's going to do. <laughs> um, so don't do that. I was kidding, totally. Um, go with the... <laughs> okay. Not in a hurry to go to your house. <laughs> um, just kidding. Go with the roses. By all means, go with the roses. So, anyway... Huh? Candy. This from the woman who's on a carb-free diet. Yeah, okay. Um, see, the gifts of the Spirit also are gifts that keep on giving. But it's in a totally different way than the understanding of our popular culture. Okay? You know, in, in, this, in the popular meaning of the phrase, the gift and its usefulness is attained by the, the recipient, the person who gets the gift. So, in other words, if I give you a gift, you get to keep it, you get to use it for your pleasure, benefit, whatever the case may be. But in the kingdom meaning of that word, or uh, in that phrase, the gift that keeps on giving, you still get one or more gifts, with one notable exception, which we'll talk about. But they're really not intended for you. They can be used by you over and over and over again to expand the kingdom of God on this earth by making more disciples. And so there's really, there's several, I think four actual lists of spiritual gifts that Paul references throughout his letters. We're going to talk about two of them today. The first one is uh, from the book of Romans, chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 21, and then the other one is in 1 Corinthians, again chapter 12, this time verses 4 through 11. So let's kind of walk through those and sort of see what they say, and then we'll sort of wrap this all up and sort of see what Paul is essentially trying to tell us as a church. So to start with, let's look at Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. All right, a little context would be helpful here. So immediately before this verse is a very famous set of verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay, and that's where Paul is talking about the renewal of the mind, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, okay? So we have to sort of keep that in mind as we go through this list of gifts because he's obviously talking about that to a certain extent because that was the lead-in sentence for this particular section. So, um, so the first matter, in his opinion, that concerns the renewed mind is right thinking about ourselves, okay? So he wants to make sure that nobody can claim any other standing in the body of Christ other than a position of humility. 
right? Because it was in humility that you entered the body of Christ in the first place. So each individual comes in by faith and stays in by faith, not because of any kind of merit, which is important to understand as we go through this list of, of gifts and, and you know skills or talents or whatever you want to call them. So he's first of all calling us to a position of humility, to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Then, in verses 4 and 5, he, he goes back into something that we talked about extensively last week, which was in, uh, also referenced in Corinthians. Um, in verse 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members, uh, and individually members one of another. Okay. So we, we talked about this pretty much the entire uh, message last Sunday we said was what unites the body of Christ is its diversity now not necessarily diversity in terms of ethnicity in this case but what really is is uh, stands out here is its diversity uh, in gifts and in skills and in talents because we're all none of us has all of those gifts none of us has all of those skills or talents or abilities and so each one of us is dependent on the others because the gifts are distributed in such a way that no one can be self-sufficient right so consequently the body of Christ functions most effectively only when all the members are utilizing all the gifts they have for the benefit of everyone else. All right. So in a nutshell, that's really what he's saying here. And so then he starts to get into some of these gifts. So in verse 6, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, before we get into looking at each one of these things individually, it really should be emphasized that Paul is making one point here about all the gifts. What's his primary point? If you have gifts, use them. <laughs> if you have gifts, you're supposed to use them, right? He starts out right away. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. <laughs> All right? So just to be clear, that's what he's saying. All right? And that's, in, in, a, in a manner of speaking, why all of his gift, gifts lists are, incom are, are complete. They're all incomplete. None of Paul's gifts lists are exhaustive in that they list all of the gifts possible. Okay? Um, because uh, he's really not talking about, he's not giving us instruction in these gifts, he's trying to motivate us to use them, all right? So first thing he mentions is prophecy. Well, that's not really a surprise because prophecy sh is the one gift that shows up in every list that he has, okay? Uh, and that is the ability to give an immediate message of revelation to God, from God to his people, okay? So... Um, New Testament prophecy is really concerned with addressing the situation of God's people in the present 
as opposed to some distant future time. If you know, that kind of contrasts with a lot of the Old Testament prophets, although there were some that talked about you know, the present. They would give you know, King Saul a word or David a word or whatever that, that related to a situation they were in. In many cases, in, in, in particular Isaiah, you see a lot of this pro- his prophecy was definitely future-oriented because he's predicting the Messiah, right? So he's talking in terms, and in some cases, it may even ap- some of it may apply to the current, but um, that's the cool thing about prophecy is that sometimes it can be a now word and a later word. All right? And the measure of our faith that he's talking about here, or proportion of faith, um, meaning that God is going to give us the power that's necessary to carry out the responsibility. And that's something that we've got to always remember. We aren't doing, in this list and in the other list, we're never doing this under our own power. Right? It's God working through us. Okay? Um, and so, basically, that just says that we can't, by our own effort or by our own willpower, somehow stir up more faith and thus become a better teacher or better servant. Right? It's not us. It's what God gives us. That's what we have to work with. Um, next, he talks about serving. Um, serving actually is really defined as the supporting role of ministry. You know, sort of everything kind of hinges on that. And it was recognized very early on by this fledgling church. If you recall, there was a story in Acts uh, where the Greek Christians came to the disciples and they said, hey, you know, who's our widows and orphans aren't being taken care of. You need to do something. And they're like, well, but we're really kind of supposed to be about, you know, praying and preaching the word and all that. And so that's kind of, so very wisely, um, they got together seven spirit-filled men and appointed them with the task of serving and taking care of the needs of the church community. So that's really where it all sort of comes from, and it really highlights just how important it is that we have people in serving roles. Teaching, he mentions, fairly obvious, just the systematic presentation of truth that's handed down through Scripture. Exhortation, and this was sort of interesting. I had not uh, realized this until I did the research, but the word, our word exhortation in the original language is from the same word group as the word paraclete, um, which is the title that John gives the Holy Spirit, helper. Um, And it has a whole range of meanings. It can be to invite, to summon, to comfort, or to encourage. But it's that same word as paraclete or helper uh, is to be an exhorter. Giving, simply the sharing of one's own personal resources for the good of others. Could be money, could be food, could be possessions. In this instance, it's probably not so much a giving of your time uh, because that's kind of presupposed in every gift, you know, that it takes time to do these things. And uh, he points out once again that the gift is supposed to be given generously without any motive for personal gain. You know, that's we, we've talked about that in weeks past as well where you know Jesus was talking about pointing out the example of the Pharisees who did everything just to be recognized for being very holy and righteous uh, when in fact they were uh, anything but and then he mentions leadership which is uh, to set before or 
to set over. And it's sort of an interesting twist here because it talks, he, he's really referring to leadership sort of as we think about it, but also sort of in the context of um, guardianship. So uh, you're taking care of those that are placed under your jurisdiction. Um, and I think that's really what he means, especially if you sort of look at where leadership falls in this list. Um, it's right after giving and right before mercy. <laughs> so if you kind of look at it sandwiched between those two things, then this idea of um, caring for or giving aid to those that you've been entrusted with makes more sense. And then finally, mercy. And mercy is the ability to put empathy into concrete action. All right. So we may feel, you may have a, uh, you, you feel sorry for or you feel bad for someone. Mercy is actually putting some action to that feeling and doing something about it. Okay. Bringing food for a food pantry that serves those who don't have much to eat is an act of mercy. Right. Because it's, we're not just going around you know, it's, ACES does such a good job, it's really too bad about those people that don't have enough to eat. Someone should get them some food. Well, we're the someone, and we are doing that, and so we are exhibiting mercy in that sense. So, then he goes into a series of verses, and each one sort of has a point, so let's walk through those. Nine says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And this is that the love that Paul's talking about here is, is the word... Uh, agape or agape uh, that we have used in many cases to really refer to the unconditional expression of grace and compassion that's exemplified by God's love for us, right? God doesn't love us in any way, in any, under any, I'm really having a hard time. God loves us unconditionally. <laughs> he puts no restrictions on, you know, on his love for us. Um, and so just as nothing can separate the believer from God's love, nothing should really come between a believer and his or her love for one another or his or her love of sinners. And that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. But we've got to get over that hurdle. If we're going to be a church that is about the lost, then we're going to have to love everybody who comes through those doors and love them equally. Okay. Continuing that theme, he says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. We always face this temptation, I think, to demean others who are different. Um, whether it's by virtue of their giftings or their race, right? There's that tendency in human nature to do that. I mean, I, when I started really looking into, you know, becoming a multi-ethnic church and was reading all the material that I had to read, it was pretty fascinating to really read about um, some of the African tribes who pretty much all look the same, but who are hugely prejudiced and biased against each other to the point that they won't sit next to each other if there's a community gather. I mean, it's really pretty fascinating. And it just shows that that's something that's deep 
you know, in human nature, is that tendency to push back at somebody that you consider different. But we've got to overcome that, and I would say aggressively, and, and approach this so that we are putting others ahead of ourselves in terms of honor and respect. That's what he's talking about here. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's kind of like a competition. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah, that was honoring, but just let me show you what honor looks like. Right? That's the mindset we have to have. Verse 11. Do not be slothful. What a great word. Slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Okay, we can't just approach this as a, in kind of a ho-hum fashion. Right? We can't be um, robotic about it. It's got to be with zeal and fervency. Um, it's with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And, th- and I think what Paul has in mind here is sort of a combination of personal discipline and the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? You can't do one or, or the other. You've got to have both. You know, you've got to do some of those things and have the initiative to do them. That's where the personal discipline comes in but then you do them with the, under the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. These aren't unrelated, though they kind of look like it when you first read this. But if you think about it, the hope that gives joy is our future hope in Jesus. All right? And then it's that hope that supplies the mental toughness that allows us to be able to endure the earthly afflictions that we might face. And persistent prayer really relates to both of those things because um, it focuses our hope on the glorious future that we're going to have, not on what's difficult in the present time. Okay, so that's how they're, they're all sort of related. Verse 13, and I realize we're kind of rolling through this. There's a, I've got, there's a lot of stuff here that I want to get to. And so uh, I'm not spending maybe as much time as I might normally have, but you'll understand we'll get there eventually. Um, So verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Well, this is just uh, Paul sort of exhorting the Romans and really us as well um, about acts of loving service within the church. And then he extends those acts of love to those outside the immediate family of believers. Right? That's where you seek to show hospitality. And I just I want to continue uh, a, a tradition that has been here for almost as long as the church has, and that is that people always relate how they feel welcome when they come here. And I think that is such a wonderful thing, that, that folks feel just that welcoming sense uh, when they come here. And it's, it clearly says we are operating in hospitality, right? Number 14, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now this is sort of a little hint that the church in Rome was being persecuted, right? You know, because right now he's, he's, already, he's not saying who will persecute you or who might persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. So they were undergoing persecution, okay? And so with it was this need for them to respond as what? As what Paul talked about in those first couple of verses, as living sacrifices, okay? He's just basically paraphrasing Jesus' words to love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you. And nobody demonstrated that better than Jesus on the cross. Fifteen, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You see, we're called to, to bless the people that we interact with by identifying with them in both joy and in sorrow. You know, rather than, once again, some, 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 sometimes a natural human tendency, which is to rejoice in their difficulty and resent their success. <laughs> right? That's not what we're supposed to be about. 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now here, you could perhaps read into this that, that, that maybe he's addressing some kind of internal conflict that was going on within the Roman church. Um, could have been maybe class and racial differences. There were, we know there were slaves in the church as well as free uh, people and as well as wealthy people. And so uh, it could have been that there were some that were sort of looking down on others as being of a lesser status or whatever. Um, it could have been as well that if there were Jewish believers in the church, that they were now looking down on the Gentiles, you know, which is a problem that we see addressed throughout the New Testament, where the Jews tended to think of themselves as being more super-Christian than just the normal Gentiles, right? And it's not at all what Jesus was saying or what Paul is teaching. Um, whatever status or position or power we've achieved in life, it does not uh, allow us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And if someone is doing that, then they really haven't kind of gotten a hold of the enormous implications of being redeemed solely by grace. Right? They're still maybe thinking, oh, there's something I did. You know, by my righteous living, I... God said, okay, come on in. No, this isn't how it works at all. And then we have a fairly lengthy section here to close out Romans. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so he sort of concludes this chapter with what's probably the most difficult way to manifest being a living sacrifice and that is to love somebody even when you're wronged and so you know clearly he's saying it doesn't matter whether it's a believer or an unbeliever you act the same you respond in love no matter what Romans 5.10 says it pretty clearly that God loved us, I think the exact words were, while we were yet sinners. All right? God loved us even then. And so we are called to love those who are our enemies. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard to do. But that doesn't make it not true. All right. So now, let's look at this passage in Corinthians. 
This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Really just a couple of things to point out here. The gifts are given to everybody. They're not just given to special people. Andre, because he was ordained this morning, doesn't have access to more spiritual gifts than you do, or me or anybody else, right? And the purpose that they're given is, as we said at the beginning, it's for the common good. It's to build up the body of Christ. It's to build up one another within the body of Christ, right? So that's really just in summary of what Paul is really saying there. They're given to everybody, and they're to be used for everybody. This is probably the best way to summarize it. Then in verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So let's talk a little bit about what these all are, what these manifestations of the Spirit are. So first of all, he talks about an utterance of wisdom. We kind of normally refer to those as words of wisdom. This is what's called a revelation gift. These are really three categories of gifts that we see in this particular list. Um, and a word of wisdom is supernatural wisdom given in the moment that leads a person to make a right decision or reply with the right answer or to break through an impasse or to know what to do in a particular situation, right? It's wisdom that has nothing to do with your IQ has nothing to do with how smart you are or how not smart you are. It's not gained by human experience. You can't learn these by studying. It is simply something that is supernaturally given by God. Okay, and we've seen this demonstrated here before where someone will, you know, I've gotten some for the church where I've said, you know, I think someone's suffering from this and sure enough, there were people you know, I felt like that's what God had said, just because I had that impression. That's a word of wisdom, right? I couldn't have known, you know, that so-and-so had a backache or whatever the case was. So it's God speaking to us. Um, utterance of knowledge or words of knowledge, this is another revelation gift. Um, it's supernatural knowledge of facts that does not come through study, research, experience, or by any human means. And it often involves something that God wants to do or is about to do in a particular situation, okay? They're, very, they're somewhat similar, I guess, uh, in, in terms of what they're about, um, but uh, a little bit different. Faith. Faith is a power gift. Faith is just nothing but the unshakable conviction given by God that he is about to act supernaturally in a given situation. Now, this is different from the faith that we come to Jesus in, okay? This is a gift that is not produced or stirred up by your effort in any way. 
It's just like you see somebody in a wheelchair and all of a sudden you are just overwhelmed by the sense that if you go pray for them, they're going to get up. Okay, that's what this gift is. Because normally we see somebody in a wheelchair, we're like, oh Lord, you know, don't ask me to pray for them. I, just, I don't have enough faith for that. Well, it's, in, it's the stirring up of faith in you that you just know. If you go lay hands on them and pray for them, they are going to get out of the wheelchair. You have that kind of an unshakable conviction that this is going to happen. That's what this gift of faith is about. Um, the gifts of healing. This is, we've talked about this a lot. This is God's supernatural action to bring a sick person uh, to physical, emotional, or spiritual health. All right. It's gifts plural because there's a lot of different kinds of healing. Right? Some people are more gifted in praying for physical needs. Some are more gifted in praying for emotional needs. Um, so it's got, there's multiple meanings in here, which is again why it's plural and not singular. Uh, the working of miracles. Well, gift Healing is a power gift, as is the working of miracles. Um, when God uses a person's faith and prayer to effect a miracle, by his divine power. Uh, it's, a deed of, it's a deed of power that goes beyond human explanation. Okay, it's a miracle, as Brother Dominic used to say, if you know what I'm talking about, the old IBM commercials. Um, and so the working of miracles sort of could go hand in hand with this gift of, of faith that we just talked about, right? That faith is built up to enough, enough to the point that you then can go pray and God does a miracle. Prophecy uh, is a speech gift. It's speaking a message inspired by the Holy Spirit, especially for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation of others. All right. And I think Paul, the reason that he mentions this so many times is that he really sees this as exceptionally important in the building up of the church. Okay, so that's probably why it's in every one of the lists that we read. Uh, next is distinguishing spirits. This is a revelation gift. And it's a revelation from the Holy Spirit about the source of a thought, a word, or an action, and whether it originates from the Holy Spirit, from some sort of a demonic, demonic spirit, or simply from the human spirit. All right? Um, could be revealed to use the, uh, to reveal the source of prophecy or to recognize an evil spirit at work. I'm thinking... Uh, right away of the uh, another story from Acts where Paul and some others are wandering along and there's this woman that is sort of running along behind them and she has uh, a demonic spirit and she keeps over and over talking about, you know, Peter and the son of the Most High God and, and, and all. I don't remember exactly what she was saying, but he evidently endured this for a couple of days and then he finally cast the demon out. Um, so he knew what he was dealing with, and that was sort of this, this gift of uh, discernment or distinguishing of spirits, much to the annoyance of her handlers. I think she was, wasn't she prophetic, like a medium, you know, could predict the future, and, uh, and that was their source of income, and now all of a sudden it was gone, and they were quite unhappy with Paul uh, for his little impromptu deliverance. Um, Tongues. Tongues is a speech gift, speech inspired by the Holy Spirit in a language the speaker doesn't understand. 
It can be private, uh, personal prayer and praise, or it can be public, typically when it's used to give a message to the congregation. And then sort of, and that's the one gift I was referring to earlier that is really more for, can be more for personal use, right? The rest of these are more for others. That's the one gift that sort of falls in this category of something that can edify yourself. Uh, and then you have interpretation of tongues, uh, which is a s another speech gift. It's really nothing more than a supernatural ability to understand what someone who just spoke in tongues said. Now, the interesting thing is, it's more of an interpretation. It's not a direct translation. So I've, you know, sometimes if you're around this, you'll hear someone speak in tongues. And they'll speak in tongues for maybe 20 seconds or 30 seconds or so. And then the interpretation goes on for two or three minutes. Okay, so that's why I'm saying it's not a direct translation. It's an interpretation of what was said. And it has a very powerful effect on people because I think it speaks more to the heart than it does to the mind. Uh, but it also focuses our attention sort of on the Lord's majesty and his transcendence. All right, so we blasted through those pretty quick. But here's the idea that I want you to get from this. God has given the body of Christ gifts to be used to serve and build the church. That's what we're talking about here. That's what all of this text is essentially saying. God has given the body of Christ gifts to be used to serve and build the church. So the question that I would ask is, well, how, how does this teaching really help us in our mission to make more disciples? What's that look like? Well, here's point number one. The church can't do what it is supposed to do until you begin to do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Let me repeat that. The church can't do what it is supposed to do until you begin to do what you are supposed to do, right? What the church is supposed to do is to bring people into a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the church's role. Your role is to acknowledge that you have been given spiritual gifts and to begin to put them to use for that purpose. It's very simple, but yet it still seems very complicated at times. But it's really just a matter of acknowledging that you do have this gifting or, or you have multiple giftings. Because I don't think anybody simply just has one gift. There are no one-trick ponies in the kingdom. <laughs> Everybody has multiple gifts that they can bring to the table for the building up of the body. All right? So that's just sort of the overriding principle here is that we're not able to fully function as a church unless everyone... In it's sort of like an engine that's not hitting on all cylinders. I'm not mechanical at all, but I do at least understand that much. And I'm not, do engines still have cylinders? Okay, good. <laughs> I know a lot's changed. We don't do tune-ups any longer. Um, jets don't have cylinders. Okay, great. Um, yeah. So, if we are not hitting on all cylinders, if an engine's not hitting on all cylinders, it's not running efficiently, okay? So that's why it would have to be tuned and, and fixed to the point that it now runs as efficiently as it can possibly run. Same with the church. Until everyone is using their gifts in support of 
building up the body of Christ, we're not running on all cylinders as a church. So it takes all of us uh, to be able to do that. Okay? Second point is, I don't want you to over-spiritualize spiritual gifts. <laughs> all right, now it sounds funny, doesn't it? But here's what, I'm, here's what I'm talking about. I think what happens is when we start to talk about spiritual gifts is our, our thoughts immediately go to the 1 Corinthians 12 passage rather than the Romans 12 passage. All right? There's a big difference between those two passages. If you look at it, the Romans 12 passage is really more about giftings that God has given us. Right? It doesn't take any kind of a special spiritual gifting necessarily to serve. Yes, it is a gift to want to use that to build up the body of Christ. But, you know, service and giving and all of those things, we don't necessarily think of them as spiritual gifts. But yet, Paul includes them all in this list of gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. So, we tend to then immediately think, well, if I don't have the gift of prophecy, or I don't get words of knowledge, or I don't have, you know, humongous faith to be able to go do miraculous things, then I'm, I've not been gifted by the Spirit. See, I think in, the, in that sense, we are over-spiritualizing spiritual gifts by ignoring the fact that there is a list of spiritual gifts that are much more practical, and I kind of use that word tentatively, but you understand, I think, what I mean, than these gifts of power that we see in the Corinthians list. So I don't want you all to then go off and think, well, because I don't have those means I don't have any spiritual gifts. No, that's just not true. You do. See, the Bible never distinguishes between those two lists, between all the, any of the four lists. He never says, well, this is the really good list, and this is just the average list. Paul doesn't make that distinction. He just lays out the gifts and says, here, here is a sampling of those. And every time he mentions them, he includes some that he didn't really mention in the other list. And so our mindset and our approach really has got to be, do what God has gifted you to do. Sacrifice the things that you like and dislike, your preferences and your partisan positions for the sake of the one who has had mercy on you, right? And that's why I said earlier that I think service is maybe the most important gift there is. If you remember, what, what did Jesus teach his, his followers immediately before he was crucified? I think it's John chapter 13. It's, it talks about foot washing. Right, where Jesus took a towel and a basin and he washed all the disciples' feet. And after he had done it, he said, now go and do likewise. So what he's telling them is, we need to serve. And so I think you could probably put service at the top of the list of any of these other things. If you want to look at something that's important, the willingness and the ability to serve others I think if you, according to Jesus, would be at the top of the list above any of the, you know, fancy, powerful, showy gifts, if you want to think of it that way. Okay, so 
Now, what's the last point? Don't under-spiritualize spiritual gifts. <laughs> Might have seen that one coming. All right, what am I saying here? All right, well, I think many in the church have set up a false dichotomy between being a seeker-sensitive church and being a Holy Spirit church. We've kind of said, well, you can be one or the other. You can't be both. Well, why would they say that? Well, it's because Holy Spirit ministry is weird. Can we just lay that out on the table? And, and, you know, point to the elephant in the room, as they say, and just say that Holy Spirit ministry is weird. The problem with this whole seeker-sensitive versus Holy Spirit church is that the people that are looking for God are hungry for displays of his presence and his power. And if we don't embrace the power of Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit, then we turn it into nothing more than just teaching. Teaching for no real reason. Because if we can't go do it, then what's the purpose of the teaching? Just to show us that at one time in history it was there? It doesn't make any sense to me. I know there are, you know, people that swear that that's, you know, that these gifts weren't only there at the beginning, but I'm sorry, but my experience tells me otherwise. And I know some of yours does too. And so I think part of the answer is that we just acknowledge up front that Holy Spirit ministry is weird. Okay? And, and you know what makes it weird? It's the fact that the Holy Spirit doesn't play by our rules or bow to our social norms. Okay? For example, we encourage people when they come up for prayer, and we ask, we say, can I put my hand on you? Okay, well, that's kind of a big social no-no, especially in this day and age if you're of one gender and the other person is of a different gender. But even if you're of the same gender, that's not necessarily something that you just go and do you know, touching each other, um, people that just burst out in tears suddenly for no particular reason is kind of a social no-no. Um, screaming, falling down, you know, all of those things go against what we consider to be proper etiquette or proper social behavior in public, okay? But see, the Holy Spirit doesn't abide by our rules or what we like or don't like. Thank goodness. Thank God. And so what we've got to do as a church, I in particular and, and the others, other pastors as well, we've got to figure out a way, and I don't think it's that hard, to navigate this, to, to navigate the weird, if you will. And I think the way to do that is to just, just acknowledge Acknowledge it when it happens, and then teach on it or explain it. Okay? <laughs> I've heard this guy talking. He was a guy grew up in a, in a Pentecostal, uh, very spirit-filled church. And I heard him talking one time about, you know, he, would, he was one of these kids that was always inviting his friends to come to church. And, but he was always a little afraid about what was likely to happen on that particular, on any given Sunday, yep. right? Yep. And, um, and I guess the pastor was inclined to just suddenly burst out into tongues sort of in the middle of a message, 
And he, he remembers that he was always praying. It's like, you know, please, God, just let him take 30 seconds and explain what that is. And he said, God never answered that prayer. And he said, sometimes, you know, they'd be praying for people and people would be falling down. And, you know, these, the, the people up on the platform are just stepping over these folks like that was perfectly normal, but their bodies strewn everywhere. Okay, well, sometimes when the power of God comes on somebody, it overwhelms their physical senses. And they yep. rest in the spirit, as we call it. Slain in the spirit was what they called it in the old days. <laughs> but that's weird, okay? It's just weird that that happens. But I think if we just acknowledge that, and people go, okay, well, this is, and you can help with that. You know, I'll do my part, John and Andre will do their part. But if you're with somebody or you've invited somebody to church and something like that takes place, just say, hey, it's okay. You know, this is what happens when God is present. I think one of the best explanations is it's like plugging something that was supposed to be plugged into a 110 socket into a 220 socket. It's kind of like, whoa. There's a lot more power there than what I was expecting. And so I guess to close with this, I would just say that Holy Spirit ministry is a distinctive that God has given the vineyard. It's been part of our history and our heritage from almost the very beginning. It was what, I've um, been reading a, a book on um, the Jesus people. It was a history of the Jesus people movement. And it was fascinating to me um, I learned some history that I didn't know about the beginnings of the vineyard and how that essentially it had its roots at the very beginning in the Jesus people movement. That because Calvary Chapel was so involved in with the Jesus people, John Wimber was a Calvary Chapel pastor, and there were a group of Calvary Chapel pastors that left Calvary Chapel with Chuck Smith's blessing because they wanted to pursue a more active role of the Holy Spirit in their churches. There were 10 that left originally, and I guess shortly thereafter, there were like another 15 that left very quickly. And sort of all, and that's what formed the vineyard when it began. Ken Gullickson was another one of those Calvary Chapel pastors. Okay? Ken is actually the one who came up with the name the vineyard, or who God, he felt like God spoke to him and said, call it the vineyard. But... Like I said, it's been part of our history and our heritage from the very, very beginning. That was the whole reason this movement was formed. It's what attracted me to it. I'm sure it's probably what attracted many of you as well. But you're like, wow, God is real and he shows up. And these people are okay with it. You know, as, as opposed to some churches that would do everything they can to avoid the weirdness. So I think just acknowledging the fact that it it can be strange and uncomfortable, but, you know, and, and we're very vigilant. I'm, we'll make sure that if something is sort of out of order, that we sort of get control of it as best we can. Um, but we really don't want to, I would rather go a little bit too far in that direction than too far in the other direction and start to, to snuff out something that is really God as opposed to maybe letting something that's not really God go a little bit too far.
So, thank you. So, faith in action. What can you do? So what ways can you better serve this church by using all of your spiritual gifts? Right? You have more than one, like I said. And so how, you know, what ways can you think of that you might be able to serve the church better um, by using your spiritual gifts? And so that's what I would have you ponder this week. And I think it would be um, ministerial malpractice if we did not pray for a release or an impartation of spiritual gifts today. Um, I, in, um, before I do that, I, you all know that I went to this conference in Phoenix um, this past week. And um, true to form, as with every vineyard conference that I have ever been to, there was ministry time at one point. I think this was Wednesday right before lunch. And the topic had been, you know, ministering in the Holy Spirit in, in a church that it desires to grow. And it was addressing a lot, a little bit of what I was just talking about, this whole idea of, okay, you know, what happens? How do you balance those two things? So they divided us. They had, had different people go to different groups. One group was like if you had been afraid to really, you know, flow in the gifts of the Spirit in your church for whatever reason, you were to go, and this guy over here was going to pray for you. There was another group for those that desired to speak in tongues but hadn't, and, but they wanted to. So that was in this middle group. And then there was a group, I think it was for prophecy. And I thought, well, I, I wouldn't mind having a stronger gift of prophecy, so I'll go over there. So I, I went over there, and prayer started, and felt a very strong sense of the Holy Spirit's presence during this time. But the really cool part about this was that there were, there were certain gifts that I've always sort of desired. I wanted to get more words of, of knowledge and wisdom. I wanted a greater gift of prophecy. And I've always wanted to see pictures. I don't see pictures. I'll get a sense of a word or a you know an illness or something like that, but I've never gotten a picture of something to be able to say, and that's one of the common. So I said, those were the things I, and I didn't even express that to any. I didn't say it to anybody. I wasn't even really thinking it. This didn't occur to me until after this prayer time was through. But in the course of that prayer time, three different people prayed for me, and each one prayed for a different aspect of those things that I had actually secretly desired that God would give me. Mm -hmm. So, let's have people, what I had sort of thought about was, um, if, let's divide people, have people come up based on, um, well I was thinking about doing it whether by, by the type of gift, but I'm not sure I really want to do that. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, just come. Just come on up now. Oh, this is encouraging. Aren't you going to come in the front here too? Yeah, spread out across the front. 
All right, let's see. Uh, Nick or Virginia, could you pop those lights off, please? <laughs>